uh, we've been taking a week uh, to explore, um, well, three weeks to explore one parable and then looking at, uh, at one element per week. Uh, and so we've been looking at the DNA of our church, discover, nurture, and act. And we've taken a week to discover God. Not that it finishes after that week, just to reinforce that. Um, and then a, a week to nurture each other. That definitely doesn't finish at the end of this Sunday. And then a week just to explore what it is to act, to see God's kingdom extended. And so please, um, if you've missed anything, then those messages will be available online. If you got hit by any pottery last week, please don't email in. Um, <laughs> apologies um, about that. Uh, but hopefully that helped last week as we uh, discovered God together through this parable in Luke 15. And so if you've got a Bible, we're going to be in Luke 15. Bear with me a bit. Uh, this message might be a little bit all over the place, but I was writing it whilst battling a fever. So I had a lovely temperature uh, while sat by a cold open window trying to bring the temperature down. So hopefully God will speak through it. Is that all right? Good stuff. And I won't go on. If you don't, if you don't answer back, we won't go on because I'm going home to bed. <laughs> Uh, so Luke 15, um, we have got this story of a, a, a young son is who we're going to look at this week. Not exclusively, but primarily the young son. We looked at the father last week, the young son this week. And this is the one that the parable is really named after. It's the prodigal son. Um, he's the one that says to his dad, hurry up and die, I want the cash. He gets the, the property and then exchanges it for cash and goes off to the big city and splashes the cash. Uh, and then suddenly a famine hits the land and he loses everything. Um, and this isn't a case of just being able to go off to the shops to buy some more tins to stockpile. This is everything is gone. The, the, the land is decimated. Uh, and he come, the scripture says that he comes to his senses and he decides he wants to return to the Father. So let's just have a look at verse 17 um, as we uh, dive into this passage. It says this in verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But while his son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and he kissed him. The son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told the servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring out the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. That's good, isn't it? Let's just pray. Father, we thank you that, that with you we get to have a party. Lord, there's so much in this world that can bring us down, that feeds us with just a fear and an anxiety, but God, with you we get to party. We get to rejoice. And so Lord, I pray that, that there'd be something of your spirit here this morning that would bring a, a life and a joy and a party that we can celebrate no matter what is going on. So Lord, the South Africans can celebrate when they lose the test match. <laughs> and all the other five nations can lose when they lose against England in the six nations because we are your team. Amen. A number of people have been saying I haven't been praying for sport recently. And so it's coming back. Sorry, Welsh. You're going down. You got a new coach. There's not a chance this year. Um, <laughs> so I got really wound up this week. Like some of you are pretty wound up right now. Um, <laughs> 
Um, I got really wound up because, um, am I right to share this? Just getting a bit annoyed because I was on this road, one of the country lanes coming into Stratford, but I was on the main road of the country lane and there was a side junction. So remember, I'm on the main road and then there's this side junction that joins the main road and I'm coming up to this junction. I'm probably the distance from like me to Sally Ann, that kind of distance away. Sally Ann's waving for those that don't know. I, we're about that far away from the junction. I say we, it was just me and the car. Uh, and we're about that far away. And you know, when you just get a feeling something's going to happen, someone's going to pull out. So I just, <laughs> I slowed down to the speed limit. <laughs> and I, I, just, I just thought, I'm just going to slow down. And fair, sure enough, this tractor just came up to the junction. I'm like, he's not going to stop. And he just pulled straight out onto the road. Just this tractor with his um, trailer of manure and I'm behind it, and I just slam on my brakes. And I thought it was going to be like a Back to the Future moment, and then when he skids into the trailer of manure. But thankfully, I stopped in time, and I was very Christian. I didn't flash my lights, didn't beat my horn, didn't shout anything, just blessed my enemies in Jesus' name. And, um, but you know what really wound me up? It wasn't so much that he pulled out, but that he didn't even acknowledge me. That I'm there, and I'm driving, and I'm like, sorry for breathing, like, he's just pulled out. There wasn't a hand. There wasn't a flash of the indicators. There was nothing. Didn't even acknowledge I was there. Just drove on. I'm like, excuse me for being on the main road. It's like, you know, when you go into, like, a shop or something, you've got people following you, and you hold the door open for them. Yeah? And they just walk straight past. I am the guy that says, you're welcome. <laughs> I am that. In fact, I'm that guy so much that I gave my kid. This happened yesterday evening. I put a plate out of food. Uh, for our kids to have a TV, Saturday TV dinner. And they sat on the sofa and I gave it to Bella and she looked at me and went, you're welcome. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, you're meant to say thank you. I say you're welcome. So I am that guy who, when they just walk, I'm like, you're welcome. And they're like, oh yeah, sorry, thanks. I'm like, manners are free. That Manners maketh a man, they don't cost anything. And I've just held this door for you. Surely I, at least I deserve is a thank you. That's the least we deserve. It's funny, isn't it? I think so many of us live that way. We live like, I've done something for you, I deserve something in return. I've lived a certain way, I deserve something back for that. I want to suggest that as the people of OCC, that as we seek to nurture each other, that actually there's a, there's a different way of living that God is calling us to. That is not based on, I'll do this for you and you do it for me. I'll scratch your back, you scratch my back. That the way of, of living of how Jesus calls us is to nurture each other, to live, love, and look like him. And that actually he says something through this parable that is both challenging and profound about the way that we get to live. Now, if you're visiting, and you're, I'm primarily speaking to those that are members and regular attenders of our church as we journey through discovery, nurture, and act. But if you're visiting and you follow Jesus, then I pray that this will help you in your journey and how you love the community that you're a part of. If you don't follow Jesus, then eavesdrop in on what it should be like for those of us that do follow Jesus. So you can kind of say, hang on a minute, you're not doing a very good job, are you? Because you can do that to us. Uh, we don't get to that to you, but you can do it to us. Um, uh, and, and you can look at how this kind of lifestyle is for those of us that call ourselves followers of Jesus. Because we're, we're introduced in this parable to a father and his two sons. So we instantly know that what historically has been called the parable of the prodigal son actually is about more than just the son. That it's about a father and his two sons. It's about a dad and his two boys who on the surface seem like polar opposites, don't they? As we read the story, you've got the, the, the responsible and the rebel. You've got the, 
the pleaser and the partier. They're the two kind of two extremes that we have. But actually, I want to suggest that these two boys are a lot more alike than perhaps we first realize. That actually both of them are living lives that so many still do today. That so many live inside the community of the church and outside of the community of the church. And Jesus is speaking this parable to expose this kind of relationship. This toxic relationship that infects And we all do it. We do it with our families. We do it with our kids. We do it with our colleagues, with our friends. We all live like this. And the words that I have to describe the way that we live is that we, we feel we've earned something and therefore we deserve something. That we live a certain way of earning people's love and so therefore we deserve something in return. Earning and deserving. I mean, look at the younger son. This younger son, in in verse 17, he has a moment when he comes to his senses. That he's been living it up in this big city, and then then due to this famine, he he decides to head home. He's got nothing, not even the pig feed. There's not even enough pig feed to feed him. It says that I long to eat the fill of the pigs, but no one would give it to me. So they're like saying, no, we've barely got enough for the pigs, let alone for you as well. And it says here that he comes to his senses. There's been a lot of debate around what that actually means. And a lot of people have come to conclude that that means repentance. That he comes to his senses. That that he makes an about turn and he makes his way back to the Father. That he starts these steps and it's repentance. Now repentance isn't a particularly fashionable word these days. But I think it is vital for, for looking to live a different way. That we understand actually what repentance is. Because if we can start to embrace what repentance actually is, then we start to look at everybody very, very differently because we start to see God very, very differently. And so this son, he, 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 he starts to journey back to the Father. And this looks a lot like regret, remorse. It looks like guilt and shame, doesn't it? It's like, I, I, I've done a really bad thing here. I need to get back to Dad. Regret. I really, I really feel bad about what I've done. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Shame that he's bought. All words that we really want nothing to do with, do we? I mean, I've got enough going on in my life, John. I don't want to feel guilt, shame, regret, and remorse. Thank you very much. And so repentance kind of falls out of fashion. But there's this guy in the New Testament called Paul. And in, in chapter 8 of a book called Romans, it's a letter that he writes It's one of his great therefores. And he says in verse 1, he says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a good verse? So Paul has spent chapter 7, and he's been showing the problem that we fall into. And the problem is not that we fail to understand what is right. That if only God would just tell us the right way, then we can all just, humanity can just walk in it. Because he did that in the Old Testament with Israel, which is like this microcosm of the human condition. That he gave them some really good right rules, but they failed to live in them. And they fell short. And it didn't deal with the sin and the error and the wrong. It's almost like God has set it up that we need a savior. Funny that, isn't it? You see, repentance is not just about admitting we've gone the wrong way. Otherwise, repentance just looks a lot like regret. 
And I think the world does regret really, really well. I think half the world lives in that place of regret, but it never gets us any further. We live in this, this pit of regret, but we've got no hope. This is exactly where this son is. Look at verse 18. He says, I'll get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. Do you see the language? It's the language of regret. It's the language of earning and deserving. If I do this, then maybe you'll give me that and everything will be okay again. If we can just get everything sorted. I've messed up. I've lost everything. I don't like this. I need things to be right. And therefore, I've got to earn my way back into the Father's presence. If I can just earn my way back as one of his servants, then maybe I'll deserve to be a son again. See, regret is just a life lived, earning and deserving. And it's toxic to relationships. And it's a cycle that we really struggle to get out of because we mess up. We regret it. We try much harder not to do that thing again. We manage it for a little while. We manage it for a little while and then crash. We're straight back down to regret again. Oh, I was trying really hard that time as well. Didn't see it coming. And we just go back through that cycle. And it's earning and deserving. And this is how many, so many think of God. We we, we treat God like this. That if if I can just prove to God that I'm good enough, then he'll bless me. I'm a good little boy, good little girl, go to church every week, make sure I say a few prayers, don't really know what I'm praying, but just got to say something, then then God will be pleased with me. And if God's pleased with me, then good stuff will happen because he'll bless me. And that's where so many people live their lives, and it's earning and deserving. If I can pay back what I owe, then dad will be pleased with me. And this is the prodigal son. And people have called this repentance, and I think it skew whiffs everything about who we are as followers of Jesus. We misunderstand it completely, because it's not repentance, it's self-help. That's what it is. And this book, if you ever read this book, I tell you, it's a good read. I really would recommend it. But the whole message of this book is you can't help yourself. And so if we fall into self-help, then actually we've gone, forget it. I can do it on my own. I can earn my way back to deserving that which I think I should get from God. Do you notice the speech from the son? He practices his speech. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. That's his rehearse of the speech. Then he gets up and he goes back to dad. And he starts his speech. And he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Do you notice the difference? Do you notice from when he rehearses the speech to when he delivers the speech, do you notice there's something or a lack of something? I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, full stop. And then the dad says, quick, bring out the best wardrobe, get a ring, put it on his finger because he's a son, not a slave. Strike up the barbecue because we're having filet mignon tonight. The son doesn't get a chance to say, make me like one of your hired workers. How about I I earn my way back? How about I deserve something? I know I've done it wrong. I I know I've got it wrong. Now, I'm not saying regret isn't part of the process. Admitting we've got something wrong and going, do you know what? I wish I hadn't. Yes, it's important. What's worse is if we we, we fail to admit. Scripture says that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. 
And actually, it's, it's worse if we, if we say we haven't sinned, then, then we're deceiving ourselves. So yes, of course, we get to that place where it's like, I got it wrong. I really wish I'd done it differently. But it's a small step. The bigger step, the moment that changes everything is when this young son realizes there is no way he can earn or deserve his place in the father's house. He starts to give his speech, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, full stop. The father says, don't you dare go any further. Don't you start going back to how you were of earning and deserving. Don't you dare start going back to that space where you say you can try and earn something back from me. Don't go back to that place. Because otherwise, everything you've just been through is meaningless. Because there ain't no repentance. You're just trying to help yourself. You see, this son was not part of the family because he earned it or deserved it. He was part of the family because he was born into it. Genuine repentance is not about focusing on our sin so much and not feeling bad about it to such the degree that now I've shown God just how much I got it wrong and now I'll prove to him just how much I can get it right. It's not really about sin avoidance. Oh, if I, I just make sure I don't go down that path again. Just make sure I don't kick the cat. Make sure I don't, I don't shout an obscenity when that tractor pulls out in me. We'll be all right. Because if it is based on that, when we do those things, we've got no legs to stand on. But if we realize it's not so much, repentance is not so much about sin avoidance, it's actually about life abundance. And it is about being overwhelmed and astounded by the forgiveness of God that impacts our life, that we experience it to such a degree and say, why do I want to go there when over here is so good? What? That is like, I mean, I've got fillet beef over here. Over here is like corn. <laughs> sorry to those that, no offense to, sorry, it's, corn is lovely. I've been doing veg for 21 days. I mean, it, it keeps you regular. <laughs> I can't wait for some more meat. <laughs> Bad analogy, but you know what I'm saying. Why would we want to go back to that way of living when we've tasted and seen that God is good to me? Oh, God. You overwhelm me with your grace. Ephesians 2 says, For we are saved by grace through faith. And it's not for yourself, from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. That son only experiences genuine repentance, only experiences that have been welcomed back of that full turn in his life when he is embraced by the Father. And he experiences the gift that is from the Father. It's Romans 2 verse 4. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's not his scolding. It's not his smack. It's his kindness. We say, God, you are, you, you are so long-suffering with me. Wow. Let us never get bored of that. Let us never grow tired of that. Because if we go back to earning and deserving... If we have our relationship with the Father like that, is it any wonder we have a relationship with each other like that? Is it any wonder that we start to base our relationships with each other on, I can't come anywhere close to you because look what you've just done to me. Oh, you've seen what the sun did. You shouldn't be anywhere near here. We'll come to that in a minute. Someone who lives just like that, 
And we've got to be careful because it comes out in our language. And Christians, we wrap it up in Christianese. Oh, I'm not sure they've properly repented. Like we've got our repentance nailed, you know. Oh, they say they're saved, but not sure they're really saved. You know, washed in the blood saved. You're like, what? The translation of that is, they've not done enough to prove to me that they've accepted what Jesus has done for them. Well, probably true of you. Really? Every thought, every action, because God's seen it. Have you earned it? No. Not a chance. Because when we live in the realm of earning and deserving, we can never earn enough to deserve what we've actually got. But when we accept just what the Father has done, just like the Son, all we can do is put on the robe, put on the sandals on our feet, put the ring on our finger and go, I don't deserve this. Neither do you. Should we go for a party? For the younger son, sorry, the older son, he lives in this realm of earning and deserving. This is why I think the two brothers are exactly the same. Just look at the older brother. Now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So the father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to the father, look, I have been, look at the language. I have been slaving many years for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Do you see the language? Do you see the earning and deserving? Look, I've been slaving for many years. I have never disobeyed your orders. Really? What about right now? In this moment, the dad has just said, come in and party with us, and you've said no. It's one of his orders. You just disobeyed it. This earning and deserving. How long I've been earning something from you. Surely I deserve something right now, but no, not even a goat. This older son is exactly the same as the younger son. But instead of doing it through rebellion, he's doing it through devotion. Do you remember the audience that Jesus is speaking to? He's speaking to the religious elite of the day, the, the leaders, the, the Pharisees, the pastors of the day that said, we've done enough, we've earned enough. We've proved to God that we're good enough. But them sinners over there, their lifestyle proves that they're not going to earn enough. And it split them. It split those that have been made in the image of God. It divided them and it was toxic. It's fascinating, isn't it? That those who thought they'd done enough were the ones that crucified Jesus. But those that knew they could never be enough were the ones that wanted to be close to Jesus. Wow. And here we have this older son. Earning and deserving. Won't even come into the party. Verse 30. But when this son of yours. Do you notice? It's no brother of mine. This is your son. It's like when one of my kids has been naughty, in it? Look how naughty your son is, Cara. <laughs> this son of yours devoured your assets with prostitutes. You slaughtered the fattened calf. Now, nowhere in this parable does it say that's how he, he, uh, he, he, he wasted the funds. In fact, if you want to go into the actual language, it 
doesn't, there's nothing there to say that he did it through sinful living. He just wasted his substance. He wasted everything that he was recklessly. So this brother is either he's heard gossip or he's making stuff up just to make it look worse. Oh, how careful we need to be when we fall into earning and deserving. When we start to look around the community of the church. Oh, did you hear about them last night? They're worshipping the Lord with that mouth. I heard what they got up to last night. Really? What did they get up to last night? Oh, I couldn't possibly tell you. See how, how toxic it is? Now, I, if you're visiting, you might think, well, the pastor's got, got to be in his bonnet this morning. He's speaking something into the community of the church. I'm not. I'm just preaching the word of God. I'm just preaching the passage we're in, and I'm preaching it safely in a community that I can honestly say I feel so loved to be a part of and so loved to be in. I'm not preaching this with any kind of agenda. I'm just, I'm just saying, hey, why don't we just look at how we do our relationships? Because if we do it the way the world does it, then actually we wonder why it doesn't work. But we're called to do things differently. We're called to live a different way. So I want to suggest that actually the alternative to earning and deserving, instead of living like the younger son and the older brother, actually we're called to live something of what the father displays that moves beyond it's a better way of living than earning and deserving. And the only words I can use to find it is belonging and blessing. That we live belonging and blessing. That we live out a place of belonging. That we live of, out of an identity of who we are and whose we are. And from that place, we can give. We can bless. Because of how blessed we've been. Our both sons have messed up. Our followers of Jesus mess up when we live earning and deserving. But when we live for belonging and blessing, belonging because in this parable we see a father who restores, seeks to restore both sons. Both sons who the father is willing to come out to. Do you notice that the younger son, he saw from a long way off and he ran towards him. We covered that last week. Hence the smash pottery. Why the father ran to beat those elders before they smashed that pot and cut him off from the community. It's called the Kazazar ceremony. He came out of the house and he ran towards. And here we see with the older son, he comes down out of the house and he goes to that son. I said last week that no father would ever have left the house for any rebellious son. And yet he does. Seeking to restore them, to bring them back. And, the, and the, the language of the older son. Do you notice he says, look. I mean, can you imagine? In a shame culture, that older son goes, oi, dad, look. He's like, you don't say look to me. Traditionally, a dad would have slapped his son in the face and told him to go away. You don't say look to me. I've been looking before you were even born. Don't you say look to me. I say look to you. you... That's what he'd have done. That's what he'd have done. Oh, wait, I've got a story for next week. A story of just that culture and the shame that that kind of behavior would have brought and the, the amount of time it would have taken for, if any, ever again, restoration could have been bought. But the father chooses. The father chooses to bring restoration. And he does it with the younger son and the older son. The, the disgrace that this older son would have brought on his family by having a public disagreement with a family whose reputation is already in the gutter. So he comes out to them both to restore them, to bring them back to belonging. And blessing, 
Oh, absolutely, he blesses them. He's already given them everything. This, this older son says, you've never given me anything. There's another lie. Because the honest answer is you've now got absolutely everything. Because back at the beginning of the parable, it says that the, old, the father uh, distributed his, his assets between them. So traditionally with two sons, it would have been two-thirds to the older son, one-third to the younger son. The younger son's gone away and completely wasted that one-third. So all the family have left is the two-thirds that the older son now has that is completely his. You've never given me anything. Really? I've given you everything. You're blessed more than you could possibly imagine. And your, your little brother, he just sold everything and now we've just slaughtered the fine prize cow for him. Throw a little Julia Donaldson in there for you, for those that have got kids. <laughs> the rest of you look at me like, going, what is he talking about? <laughs> Don't worry, it's a book. It's a kid's book. Don't worry. <laughs> and I wonder if that's the problem, that the older brother says, you've just slaughtered a cow for your son. And all this village have come out to party that son of yours. Because he misunderstands it, you see. He's still living in the realm of earning and deserving. And we can so misunderstand God's blessing on people's lives when we live in the area of earning and deserving. Because we've been journeying in church for years going, oh, if only I could be on the worship team. Hang on, they've only been here two weeks and they're on a worship team. What's that about? Oh, I'm jolly welcome. That's not fair. I thought I'd get a promotion. It's how, it's how people think, isn't it? It's bonkers. If I could resign from being a pastor and being on the welcome team, I'd do it tomorrow. Honestly, I'm not just saying that. Honestly. It's a lot less stressful. You just get to hug. It's fantastic. Hug people. It's a prophetic role. Being able to welcome people into church and say, let me give you a hug because the Father's given you a hug this morning. Let me give your kids a high five because there's life in this place because God's here. Wow. But we think that, oh, there's these steps. If I can just, just go up one. Without realizing that actually when you get more responsibility, you've got to be more of a servant. Boy, you've got to be more of a servant. And you suddenly realize, that, man, if this was on earning and deserving, then, man, we get nothing. We get absolutely nothing. But this, this calf, you see, this cow that was slaughtered, it, it wasn't for the younger son. And this is where we misread it. This is where earning and deserving takes us. But that ca- there is no way the village would have come out for a party with that son after the disgrace he'd brought on the village. Not just the family, but the whole village. We're not coming out to party him. He's a disgrace. But they will come out and party and celebrate for the love of the father. Oh, yeah, okay. We respect the dad. He's, 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 he's respected in our village. We'll come out for him. That's what the cow is being slaughtered for. See, when the, when the dad turns to the son in the final verses and says, this son of yours, can we bring that up? It's the last verse 30-something, 30 34, 32. This, yeah, there it is, yeah. Son, he, he said to him, you were always with me and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate. Notice that, we had to celebrate. We haven't got a choice. Oh, I wish church was like that. And rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I haven't got time. No, I don't have time to go into the language of this. But just to say that um, the Jewish phrasing is that they would never boast on themselves. It's like they would never speak about God. So when in the, in the um, Beatitudes it says um, uh, about mercy, you know, uh, be merciful and you'll receive mercy. Blessed are those that are merciful because you'll receive mercy. What is, the actual translation is, Blessed are those who are merciful, for God will be merciful to you. But there was a fear around saying the word of God in case we say it negatively and then, like, we get punished. Earning and deserving again. So in Jewish culture, we, we never boast about ourselves. The actual translation is, because this brother of yours was dead 
and I made him alive again. He was lost, but I found him. You see, the village have come out. The cow's been slaughtered because of the father's love for the son, not because of the son coming back. Oh, when we can get overwhelmed by the immense forgiveness and love, we'll celebrate when God promotes somebody next to us. We'll go, go for it. Come on. We're having a party. You're doing what? Yeah, I've wanted to do that for the last five years. It's fantastic. We get to come out to the party because this son of yours was dead, but I've made him alive again. He was lost, but I've made him found. See how this impacts the relationships we have beyond here. I don't understand why you've just like invited me around for dinner when I spread all those rumors about you at work. <laughs> I belong. Doesn't really matter what you say. Doesn't matter, does it? The one who the one who really knows who I am, I know what he thinks about me. I belong. So I can live from blessing now. I can bless you. But I I used you. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't very nice, was it? But do I come down to your level of earning and deserving, or do I live a better way of belonging and blessing? Oh, do you see how that transforms a community that is seeking to nurture, to live, love, and look like Jesus? When we live beyond earning and deserving, and we live in the realm of belonging and blessing. And it's, I read it in 2 Corinthians 5 last week. I'm coming into land. We're going to have Becky come up in a few minutes and just share something I've asked her to read. Um, but 2 Corinthians, I read this last week, but I didn't finish off the passage says, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Do you see the belonging and the blessing? There is, that is, in Christ, he was reconciling the world. He was bringing the world to himself. There's the belonging, not counting their sin, their error, their wrong, their trespasses against them. There's the blessing. And I finished it last week at that point. But I want to read how the verse ends. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. You see, when we live from the place of belonging and blessing, we go out with a message that says, you can belong and be blessed too. Don't get caught up earning and deserving. It's toxic to your relationship with the Father and the relationship to your brother and your sister and everybody else around you. Live in the realm of belonging and blessing. I read another passage last week, the famous God is love passage. 1 John 4. Again, I didn't finish that. God is love. And then in verse 10, it says, love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. You know, I had a crazy thought when I was writing this. Maybe it was the fever. But I had a crazy thought. Could you imagine what could happen in this town if everybody who believed and said they followed Jesus lived from the place of belonging in order to bless, just for one day. Isn't that a crazy thought? Could you imagine what that could do to a town? Do you imagine what every Christian in this nation, if one day we all said, how about we just try it? We were secure in who we were in Christ, that no matter what happened that day, 
whether it went in our way or not, hey, we belong. It means we can bless. Can you imagine what could happen in our, in our nation? Wow. I, I'm crazy enough to believe that actually God has, has spoken into his church that when we commit to do life together, and that's what these connect groups are about. We're going to speak into that more next week. But when we commit to be with each other and love each other, then actually something happens because it's by our love for one another the world will see just who his followers are. And lives start to be changed. Circumstances start to shift. Becky, will you come and read this story? It's a true story. I just want to clarify what Mary read last week was not her testimony. Some people have asked whether, did you go to prison? It's like, no, she, she didn't go to prison. But let me just, this is a true story, but it's not Becky's story. Mr. Manning was a teacher at a small university in Ohio in the late 1960s. He describes Larry Mullaney, one of his more unusual students, as an outcast whose appearance and demeanor isolated him from fellow students. In all my days, Manning writes, I have never seen someone with such low self-esteem. Larry was a self-proclaimed agnostic who challenged Manning on matters of faith in their continuing conversations. One Christmas, however, there was a change in Larry. He returned home to Providence, Rhode Island, to his father, with whom he had an estranged relationship. Larry's father was a typical lace-curtain Irish man. He was a prim and proper man who, in the midst of the hottest summer day, would dress in a suit and tie to come to the dining table in his own home. His expectations for his son were not being met, and their time together often erupted in disagreement. After a few nights at home, Larry announced to his dad that he would be returning to Ohio the next morning. The father asked what time the boy was leaving and said that he would ride the bus with him as far as the father's office, where the son would have to change buses for the last part of his journey to the airport. They travelled in silence that morning until the bus came to a stop in front of the textile factory where the father worked. Both men got off the bus and expected the kind of goodbye that neither would be fulfilled by. Before they could speak, however, a group of men across the street began to make fun of Larry's appearance, calling him all sorts of names that were brutally cruel. Larry, was, <clears throat> sorry. Larry had heard them before and expected nothing more than to board the second bus and leave his father behind with the taunts of these men, perhaps a reflection of his own father's feelings. Then something happened that had never happened before. The proper lace-curtain Irish father embraced his son for the first time in his life, kissed him and said, Larry, if your mother and I live to be 200 years old, that wouldn't be long enough to thank God for the gift he has given us in you. I'm so proud that you are my son. Mr. Manning saw Larry return to the university after the Christmas break, a completely different student. His demeanor changed, even his appearance. He seemed to have a different outlook on life. Not long after, Larry Mullaney came to Mr. Manning's office and said, tell me about that man, Jesus. Over the next six weeks, the two men shared, and when their time was completed, Larry said, okay, and with that, continued a genuine search for an authentic faith. He was ordained a priest a few years later and spent more than 20 years as a missionary in South America. <clears throat> Do you know why this happened, Manning asks. He concludes, it wasn't because of the six weeks of sitting in my office while I talked about Jesus. No, it was because of a day long ago during a Christmas vacation standing at a bus stop when his lace-curtain Irish father healed him. 
Yes, his father healed him. He looked deeply into his son's eyes, saw the good in Larry Mullaney that Larry couldn't see for himself, affirmed him with a furious love, and changed the whole direction of his son's life. I wonder if we can stand together. Do you want to come back and play, musicians? Let's just close our eyes. We're going to draw things to a close. But just, just for the sake of two, three minutes. I just felt prompted just to pray over two groups of people just while we draw things to a close. Two groups of people. The first that I just wanted to pray over this morning was those that maybe have been accepting of God's love based on what they've done rather than who he is. That we've seen our father and we've based his love on how good we've been rather than how good he is. Can I tell you, even on your best day with the best prepared speech, you're still a long way off. You know, the son was still lost even when he was at the edge of the village. It was the father that saw him and ran towards him that found him. The speech wasn't enough. He loves you in your mess. The father embraces both sons in the middle of their mess. That younger son didn't even have enough time to wash the smell of pigs off him before the father embraces him. But he says, quick, this son of mine. And then he goes to the older son in the midst of his mess, which may not be physical, but there was certainly an attitude. And he says, son, come in. God loves you with an everlasting love that is not based on your best day and withdrawn on your worst day. And you will forever live at a distance until you become overwhelmed with a reckless, unending love of God. And we will never be the community that God calls us to be until we all accept and embrace that of each other. That we get to live from love, not for love. Father, I just pray right now for those in this room that have always struggled to accept that they're accepted. that think that when things go wrong in their life, it must be that God's punishing them because they've not been good enough. Because that's how so many of us live our lives and have grown up. That we get treats when we're good and we get grounded when we're bad. But Lord, I thank you that when we see you as you are and we accept the love you have for us, we can be like Larry, whose life is transformed because we belong 
the second group that I want to pray over. And we're going to sing. And if you want, you can come and have some prayer. Love to pray with you about anything. The second group right now as we stand that I've been praying for this week is those that are holding others to a standard that God has never held you to. That you're leading a life that causes others to live to a standard to deserve something that they need to earn but they could never earn it. And I was praying this week and I was praying that that you would get overwhelmed with the forgiveness and the love and the compassion of the Father in your life. That you'd be able to release that. You just let it go. Not that it would diminish the hurt. The hurt is real. The hurt is there. And it might be a 10-year journey of that hurt and God bringing healing. But you get to make a choice right now. So I'm going to live better than earning and deserving. And yes, they hurt me. But I belong to you. I'm going to try and release blessing. And sometimes, God, I'll get it right and sometimes I'll get it wrong. But thank you that your love for me is not based on me getting it right and wrong. Help me to love that person the same. So, God, I just pray right now, if any people in the room are within those two categories, God, will you just come and meet them by your presence? Whether anything I've said this morning can cut through or not is irrelevant. Your presence is what brings transformation. It's what brings us to that place of being on our knees, saying, God, thank you. Will you pour out your presence? Affirming, confirming, revealing the love that you have. And from that place, no longer do we live earning and deserving, but we live from a place of belonging in order to bless. Spirit of God, will you move as we sing this song? Will you move in this place in people's lives? In Jesus' name.